Hello there. My name is Chase Hammock, and you're listening to The Hanger Podcast. Most episodes, I'm joined by my good friends and fellow Hangerman leaders, Ben Derrick and Mauricio Hans. This is Ben. So when does the rainbow come into play? The podcast was mostly his idea. And this is Mauricio. Yeah, I don't have Spotify. I call him Mosef because he lets me. The name of the game here on The Hanger Podcast is reclaiming manhood and showing men what it means to live as God has called us to. This takes many shapes and forms, and we're willing to try quite a lot of them here on the podcast. So, we hope you'll sit down, grab a pipe or drink, and stay a while. And as always, welcome to The Hanger. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Hanger Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chase Hammock. Uh, today's, I don't know, featured player, I guess, is uh, our very own Mo Hans. He's uh, he's written out something for you guys that I think is actually going to be really cool. I actually got to be there for the recording, as I always do, and uh, was pretty blown away. It's some pretty awesome stuff. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it and uh, pull a lot away from it. Uh, before I... Uh, let Mo dive off and do his thing. I wanted to uh, bring up something real quick for you guys. We are actually unveiling finally, after what feels like centuries, our uh, our hanger website. It is uh, thehanger.men. Pretty cool URL there. Uh, Technology is crazy, but um, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of different things that you can get on there. Uh, one thing that you actually will be able to is have like a follow-up blogs or articles or stuff like that that kind of pertain to different episodes at different times. So there may be a little bit about uh, what Mo's talking about, a little bit of follow-up and your next steps with what you're uh, hearing from him today. If you have any more questions, he's going to actually uh, pose a question for you guys that I think is going to really challenge you. I won't spoil it or anything because it's a pretty solid episode. And I'm not like Ben, I actually respect spoilers. <laughs> but uh, there's also, you know, a little more information about like Ben, myself, and Mo as far as like, you know, who we are. Not too much, you know, because we're trying to keep things a little under wraps because we wanted to leave a little mystery for you guys because there's a little intrigue there, you know. We kind of want to keep it spicy. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, but there's stuff like uh, some recommendations we have. There's some images from actual recordings, uh, you know, actual hangar episode recordings. A lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I won't ruin too much of it for you because I think you'd be better off just going and checking it out yourself because I think it's actually worth it. I know I may be a little biased, but it's a pretty, pretty legit website that's awesome. Uh, a lot of great images and stuff like that. High quality, you know, the best. Only the best for you guys. Uh, so once again, that URL is thehanger.men. No .com or anything like that. It's literally thehanger.men. So uh, go and check it out and let us know what you think about it. You know, we want a little feedback. Obviously, we like it, but if there's a little thing, a little bit of things we can do better, we would love for you guys to let us know. So that about does it for me. I'm going to throw it over to Mo. You guys take care. There was movement at the station, for the word had passed around that the colt from Old Regret had got away, and had joined the wild bush horses. He was worth a thousand pounds, so all the cracks had gathered to the fray. All the tired and noted riders from the stations near and far had mustered at the homestead overnight, 
For the bushmen love hard riding, where the wild bush horses are, and the stock horse snuffs the battle with delight. There was Harrison, who made his pile when Pardon won the cup, the old man with his hair as white as snow, but few could ride beside him when his blood was fairly up. He would go wherever horse and man could go. And Clancy of the Overflow came down to lend a hand. No better horseman ever held the reins, for never horse could throw him while the saddle girths would stand. He learnt to ride while droving on the plains. And one was there, a stripling on a small and weedy beast. He was something like a racehorse undersized, with a touch of timer pony, three parts thoroughbred at least, and such as are by mountain horsemen prized. He was hard and tough and wiry, just the sort that won't say die. There was courage in his quick, impatient tread. And he bore the badge of gameness in his bright and fiery eye, and the proud and lofty carriage of his head. But still so slight and weedy, one would doubt his power to stay. And the old man said, that horse will never do. For a long and tiring gallop, lad, you better stop away. Those hills are far too rough for such as you. So he waited, sad and wistful. Only Clancy stood his friend. I think we ought to let him come, he said. I warrant he'll be with us when he's wanted at the end, for both his horse and he are mountain bred. He hails from Snowy River, up by Kosciuszko's side, where the hills are twice as steep and twice as rough, where a horse's hoofs strike firelight from the flint stones every stride. The man that holds his own is good enough, and the snowy river riders on the mountains make their home. Where the river runs those giant hills between, I have seen full many horsemen since I first commenced to roam, but nowhere yet such a horseman have I seen. So he went. They found the horses by the big mimosa clump. They raced away towards the mountain's brow, and the old man gives his orders. Boys, go at him from the jump. No use to try for fancy riding now. And Clancy, you must wheel him. Try to wheel him to the right. Ride boldly, lad, and never fear the spills. For never yet was rider that could keep the mob in sight if once they gained the shelter of those hills. So Clancy rode to wield him. He was racing on the wing, where the best and boldest riders take their place. And he raced his sock horse past him, and he made the ranges ring with a stock whip as he met them face to face. Then they halted for a moment while he swung that dreaded lash, but they saw their well-loved mountains full in view. And they charged beneath the stock whip with a sharp and sudden dash, and off into the mountain scrub they flew. Then fast the horsemen followed, where the gorges deep and black resounded to the thunder of their tread, and the stock whips woke the echoes, and they fiercely answered back from the cliffs and crags that beetled overhead. And upward, ever upward, the wild horses held their way, where the mountain ash and Kurajong grew wide. And the old man muttered fiercely, We may bid the mob good day. No man can hold them down the other side. When they reached the mountain's summit, even Clancy took a pull. It well might make the boldest hold their breath. The wild hop scrub grew thickly, and the hidden ground was full of wombat holes. Any slip was certain death. But the man from Snowy River let the pony have his head, and he swung his stock whip round and gave a cheer, and he raced him down the mountain like a torrent down its bed, while the others stood and watched in very fear. He sent the flint stones flying, but the pony kept his feet. He cleared the fallen timber in his stride, and the man from Snowy River never shifted in his seat. It was grand to see that mountain horseman ride. 
Though the stringy barks and saplings on the rough and broken ground, down the hillside at the racing pace they went, and he never drew the bridle to the landed safe and sound at the bottom of that terrible descent. He was right among the horses as they climbed the further hill, and the watchers on the mountain standing mute saw him ply the stock whip fiercely. He was right among them still as he raced across the clearing in pursuit. Then they lost him for a moment, where two mountain goalies met in the ranges, but that final glimpse revealed on a dim and distant hillside the wild horses racing yet with the man from Snowy River at their heels. And he ran them single-handed till their sides were white with foam. He followed like a bloodhound on their track till they halted, cowed and beaten. Then he turned their heads for home and alone and unassisted brought them back. But his hardy mountain pony, he could scarcely raise a trot. He was blood from hip to shoulder from the spur. But his pluck was still undaunted and his courage fiery hot. For never yet was mountain horse occur. And down by Kosciuszko, where the pine-clad ridges raise, their torn and rugged battlements on high, where the air is clear as crystal and the white stars fairly blaze at midnight in the cold and frosty sky, and where around the overflow the reed beds sweep and sway to the breezes and the rolling plains were wide, the man from Snowy River is a household word today, and the stockmen tell the story of his ride. In 1982, 20th Century Fox released a movie based on the poem that I just read. It was a poem by Banjo Peterson. He was a an, Aust- an Australian bush poet. This was like first published in, I think it was like 1890 or something like that in Australia. Uh, this this movie was one of my favorite movies as a, as a child. We used to spend long summers, and I say they were long because uh, there wasn't a whole lot of time spent with my dad. He was always working, and so we would be stuck in our house with my stepmom, who was uh, not always the funnest person to be around. She was all right. But we would sit there, and what we would do is we'd go through these big boxes of video cassettes, and we'd try to figure out which movie we wanted to watch. She had a lot of movies and there was this one movie the the man from snowy river that I just I put in once and then I was stuck on it. I think this movie was probably played about once a day. I mean maybe even at the minimum once a day. I just loved it even to the point to where I remember when DVDs came out I was an adult and we were going through Walmart and I saw that this DVD and I bought it and I had to have it so I could watch it and show my son because I just loved this movie. There's something about it. There's something about the way that this movie played out that just really captivated my attention. There's a, as a, as a young boy, the love story, uh, it's really kind of what it's based around is this big love story, which is nothing like the poem as, as, as you heard, but there was this, uh, the love story didn't really interest me that much. It's just right there in the middle of the middle of this movie. There's this amazing ride from the guy. His name is uh, Jim Craig, who is the the star, the character, the main character in the, in the movie. And he's trying to go and earn respect for his family name. His dad had recently passed away. 
in an accident and he was the son of this guy's coming into manhood and he had to make a name to kind of remake a name for his dad, but also to kind of make a name for himself as a man. And so he goes and he goes into this town and he gets a job as a stockman, a stock boy at um, this rich guy's house, this rich guy's, you know, farm, whatever you want to call it, where they have all the horses. And as he's getting there, the the horse, this is prize horse that costs like a bajillion dollars or something like that, just gets away as he was training it. Um, and in the movie, it was kind of his fault or he got the blame for it or something like that. And uh, joins this, this mob of Brumbies, which, you know, it's what they call wild horses in Australia. I don't know if it's a specific kind. It's just what they call them. And, um, and so this, led the, this mob was led by a, a stallion or a colt or whatever you call it that was just crazy, like intimidating. You know, he was the one that got his dad killed and no, nobody could ever catch him. Like it was just impossible to catch this horse. Nobody had ever done it. And so as to, after this, um, you know, mob, after this, this colt joins the mob, uh, the old guy, Harrison, he gets everybody together and he says, look, we're going to go call the men from all over the place. The best riders, you know, we're going to go get this horse back because he knew how elusive this mob of horses was. So, you know, he's going and this, this, this guy is, his name is Clancy. He's just like, uh, the stuff of fairy tales. He's the stuff of legends. He's this rider that everyone knows is the best. And if there's anyone who's going to bring in this pack of this mob of, of wild horses of Brumbies, it's going to be him. And so um, they get all together, and and Harrison obviously because didn't want to have this this guy Jim come because well it was his fault he said that the horse got out, but also it was kind of a love interest of his daughter, you know, and uh, and that was just not something that he wanted, you know, rich family and a poor guy stuff like that, poor mountain man. Um, and so Clancy kind of convinced him to let him ride because you know he was a better rider than he ever imagined. And so they take off. They take off running after these horses, and uh, and they're just they're just really like the whole way in this movie. The whole journey to to chase down these horses is just riddled with challenge after challenge for Jim. You know, people are trying to knock him off his horse. People are pulling the headgear off his horse, and it puts him all the way back in the back of the pack. You know, because everyone's trying to get the the prize for this this money, uh, prize for getting his horse back. So, anyway, this. This way, the way it goes down is is as just like the poem talked about, just that moment where everyone stops at the summit of this mountain, and uh, as the as the Brumbies go down the other side, and everyone just stops in fear, and the old man's like, "Great, they got away. Everything is over, except for Jim, just out of nowhere, coming from way in the rear, while everybody's sitting there watching. It's just so perfectly poetic. He just jumps his horse right over the ledge and just cracks his whip as he goes, and that just shows this amazing, epic kind of slow motion ride down the side of this mountain. And then he catches up with these horses and he just brings them in and he's the hero. And it's just this amazing story that as a young boy, I was completely captivated with. And, uh, and it got me, got me thinking recently, cause I, I didn't even know this was, uh, you know, a poem until just this past couple of weeks, but I started thinking about this, this guy from snowy river. I was like, you know, is this something real? Is this a, is this just a, a poem? Is it just fictional? Is it based on something? I always think that some of these movies are. And, and I did some searching and, uh, and as it turns out, 
there's a, a, a few people, there's some kind of a controversy. I don't know if you call it controversy. Everybody kind of thinks that it was either based off of one person or that Banjo Patterson kind of had a collection of people that he heard similar stories about and he put them all together as one person. But if you go to um, Koryong, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it's in Australia. Um, it's just in one of those mountain cities. And, and if you go there, they are convinced that this story, this poem, is written about a specific man um, named named Jack, and and this guy Jack Riley is his last name was a, a man who lived up in the mountains just outside on Hermit Mountain, just a little cabin all by himself in the woods, in the bush as they call it over there, and uh, and they're just so convinced. Even today, they have these uh, not well not today, but like even now, they still have like a festival that talks about that ride and talks about his last ride because he became a legend. Is what it says is 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 that this um, this story. This poem was an actual event that took place, and it was just written with a little bit of poetic license about this specific man. And uh, I came across this little thing written of him. It sounded like if you read it, you would read it, and it would sound like you're reading something that he wrote, but then at the bottom it says that somebody else wrote it. So you don't know if it's something like uh, they were interviewing him, and they wrote down some of the things he said. Um, But Jack was a... A, a guy who was from Ireland originally and like this poor, impoverished, starving um, Ireland. I, I don't know where or what, but this is just this place, the city that was just, he was really poor. He came from a family of tailors and his family, his his parents, to get him out of there, he and his sister, they, they sent his sister to Australia. And then when he was old enough, I think he said like 11 or 12, they put him on a boat and it was like he made a three month journey all the way to Australia to join his sister. And the plan was that he would turn into uh, a tailor there to kind of work through all of this, uh, get away from this poverty and take the skills that their family had taught him and do something with his life. And when he got there, um, he noticed that these these stockmen these, these would bring in their cattle uh, from the from the mountains into this town that he was in, and he would go over to the pub where they would be go go get a beer and and for a beer if they would buy him a beer he would take their horses uh, over to the stables or whatever to get horseshoes and just to get taken care of and and while he was doing that he would hear these stories of these men would tell of the of the way that the land was out there and and all of the experiences and stories that they had and he just his wanderlust grew and he just turned into um, somebody who just got bit by this nature bug and just wanted to always go out. It says in this thing that I read that that he would go out for as a, as a young boy on his horse for like two, three or four days and uh, into the woods, into the mountains. And then so finally, the, finally Jack and he gets a job with these stockmen and he goes out and he learns how to ride. He learns how to work the the land. He learns how to how to how to you know, move cattle and all kinds of things from the best of the best. These guys who live in the snowy river Valley, uh, the snowy river area of the mountains. And he, he works his way towards this town on the other side. And it's just so far away that the, the story says that when he got there, he, uh, on, on the, on the other side of Mount Kosciuszko, they say it's Mount Kosciuszko, 
um, as the locals call it, when he got to the other side, his horse was, his old horse was so like dead basically that he had to get a new one and he got a wild Brumby and he trained it. And so that became his horse. And then he worked as a stockman. He got hired as a stockman on this guy, JJ Pierce, this rich guy um, who won like some super big race with a horse and got super rich and bought all this land and whatever this he, he started working with that guy well as it turns out like the story says his colt got away and then this story ensues according to what i read like jack was talking about it himself um exactly how the poem said it happened uh there's one line there that that, that it said that he said uh, in what I read, which all those three things rhymed, which is pretty awesome. But there's uh, <laughs> one line there. It says that he knew he had to go because never was an Irishman a quitter. That was the thing he said. And I started thinking, what is it about these guys, like this Jack Riley's, that we that, that we immortalize them? What is it about them that cause us to immortalize them? What is it about them that turns makes them turn in to legends? I mean, because if you think about it, in the entire span, so much as we know, in the entire span of Jack's life, he only did one thing that was notable. Like he he went one ride down one side of the mountain one time, and all of a sudden this story just continues to capture the hearts of men and it, it really does immortalize him. So so what is it that that makes men, makes us do this to other men? What is it about this guy? What is it about guys like this that turn them into legends? And I started thinking about it. I think it comes down to just this one thought. Maybe it's a thought that you've had. I know it's a thought that I've had or, or, or you've even said it out loud. Maybe when joking to the other guys that are around you, it's that it's, a, it's just a thought that says, man, there is no way that one sentence. How many times, man, there's no way I could do this. There's no way I could do that. And so like in, in the movie, there's a clip of this ride down the side of the mountain. And the reason I love it so much is because when I'm looking at it and I'm watching it, I'm thinking how awesome it is, but I know that there's just no way I could ride that horse down the side of that mountain. I mean, I don't even know if I can ride a horse. I was, it was like a kid the last time I rode one. And this guy's taken down full speed down the side of a mountain. And I just know that there's no way I could do it, which is exactly why I have that that desire and that I get fired up every time I see him go down that side of the mountain. And so it's things like that, that, that cause us to immortalize these people because of their courage, because of their confidence. And we're inspired by their bravery. We're in awe of their, their manliness. Because a lot of us have lived our lives in just like this safety of mediocrity for so long, but we've forgotten that we too, every one of us possesses the nature that is necessary within us to conquer fear. I mean, I love the picture that this poem brings. It's a, it's a group of men that are all out to accomplish the same thing. Among the group, there's those who have, have experience and, and the wisdom that have been there a while and other men that just look up to these guys. And they're all just racing through the, the wild and they're, they're pushing the terrain and they're jumping over this and that and they're chasing down the, the prize, the goal. And then they come to the summit and that point where the, where the where they go down and and so many of them, all of them just pull back on the reins and stop. 
just watching that mob of horses run away down the hill like to that 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 your future is just running away from you i mean it's like you've done everything that you can you've ridden as hard as you can you've you've shown some courage and some expertise and and you've gotten to a place where you can ride with that group even the best of the best but when the moment comes and you reach the summit we watch only those certain individuals with an unexplainable courage take down the other side. And in the group of all those men, there was only one willing to take the charge. Man, you know, I wish that I could sit here and just tell you guys about this time when I just started living that life where I was just going down the side of the mountain. You know, I I wish I could I could tell you about some some experience that I had but the truth of the matter is I have been living most of my life with un, being unconfident in myself as kind of my my forte you know the one thing that I know I'm really good at is like that I'm not really confident that I'm good at anything and so this is how my life has been. I've just been another guy on the top of the hill, just watching those with courage and confidence take down, uh, go down the side of that mountain. And honestly, my story is just littered with it, littered with a lack of confidence. You know, thinking back to to all of the things that I've even started where I've taken this charge and I've gone after something and I've done everything that I could do. I've run the race and I've worked as hard as I could to get to where I wanted to be. And then, you know, I get to the summit and then there's just it falls, it stops, it breaks, because I get to that point where it's going to require something big of me. And then I let it go because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it might cost. You know, I've made a habit of looking down the side of the mountain, feeling sorry for myself, just thinking, man, I could never do that. So, but recently, God has been just doing something crazy in my life and he's just revealing truths to me from the Bible and they just continue to come and bring them back to my attention and specific verses from the Bible keep coming up. There's one that says, for he has not given you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. And just this idea that that God has not given me a spirit of timidity, which is what my life has been identified with up until now, I guess, right? All my whole story has been identified with that, but it's, it's telling me, it's reaffirming me, just going over and over, bringing it back into my mind, This that God has not given me a spirit of power. There's another one, a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. There's another one that says, um, Romans 8, 15, it says that the spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption as sons, and we cried, Abba, Father. Man, I've been reminded of these daily. These things that, that just, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I, but I can find confidence that I'm his son. And I'm a co-heir with Jesus. And and just because of that, as, as such, as a co-heir, I should walk with the confidence and the power that comes from that. It's, it's just from this place that a, a specific line from the poem, and it just jumps out at me. It jumps out because I, I'd never seen it before, obviously, because I didn't know until this past week. But as I read it and just all these things that God's doing in my mind and in my heart, this jumps out. It says, but the man from Snowy River let the pony have his head. 
But he didn't pull back on the reins to stop the horse. No, the man just let the horse do what the horse was made to do. He didn't stop it. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't try to take control of every detail and navigate the horse down the side of the hill. He knew that 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 mountain horse knew how to run that terrain. And he was confident in his ability to stay on. And he just let the horse have his head. He let the horse have a little bit more reins so that the horse could just put his head down and take off down the side of the mountain. He just held on. He didn't move. It says that until he got to the bottom is when he even started to take control and ride. And I don't make any mistakes here. Like this guy was in control of his beast. He He's the one who gave the permission for the horse to go over the edge. He's the one that chose to do it because he could have stopped it for that horse from any time he wanted to. And that horse would have listened. But instead, he gave him permission. Instead, he took courage and he let the horse do what he knew the horse was going to be able to do. Man, in the opening chapters of the Bible, it says that God created man in his image and he gave him authority to subdue creation. Man, God's given the ability to us to live our lives, not just to merely exist. When he when we say stuff like, man, I could never, God's saying, no, I created you to do that, to be able to do that. Life doesn't have to be in charge of us. We are in control of life. And we live in a society that tells us just to keep that tight grip on the reins, to pull back and and don't take those risks and don't do those things and be afraid of what's happening on the other side of the summit. We've been told that being at the top of the summit is where we want to be. But I think that if we just give the pony his head and we take that summit, that ride down the other side, oh man, that's a ride that all of us have been longing to take. And it's where we find our purpose. It's where we find our courage. It's where we find who we are. And I've, I've spent too long living in fear. And so as this poem, this line in the poem, give the pony's head keeps coming back into my mind and the verses that God keeps bringing back up to my mind, I've, I've started to, to do it. I've started to give the pony his head. I've started to allowing the, the pony of us to allow life to go and not to shy away from it, not to pull back because it looks dangerous, not to pull back because the terrain is rough and there's, there's no way I could do it, but to actually see over that, that summit as I approach and know that on the other side of that summit's going to be a ride of a lifetime. And that I have the confidence, not only in myself to stay on, but in God who is telling me that I have inside of me the power to be f- away and free from fear and to walk in boldness and courage, trusting that who he has created me to be is exactly the man who would ride down the side of that, ho- that, that mountain. And so, just like uh, in the movie, uh, in the show Godless, where he says, are you in control of that animal or is that animal in control of you? Um, I'm going to ask you the same question. Are you in control of your life or is your life taking control of you?